but I can only imagine longing for, hoping for, clinging to a promise that was not seen, that was told of prophets, that was the gospel was, uh, was promised by sages and prophets, but it was, it was not seen. And I can only imagine the mindset that some must have faced. Is Messiah coming? Is this true? Will we be redeemed? Will we be delivered? Welcome to the Divine Truth Podcast. My name is Michael Huffman, and I'm the senior pastor here at Emmanuel Baptist Church. We have tonight for us in the pulpit James Huffman. James is an elder here at Emmanuel Baptist Church and a student at the Master's Seminary in Southern California. We look forward to hearing from James this evening, so grab your Bibles as James expounds the Word of God for us tonight. Christmas. Um, typically, it's kind of a joke uh, for those who are kind of committed to expository preaching. It's kind of a joke among pastors. So are you going to preach a Christmas uh, sermon this year or whatever? Because again, we don't typically stray off from uh, the books in the Bible that we're in or whatever. I don't think it's wrong at all to uh, take a break from them if something is important to talk about, and of course, I believe Christmas is. Um, and it is true that we need to have a very theological view of Christmas because just like in everything, even as we talked about on Wednesday night, we are warring against our culture on many on various fronts, and uh, the proper view of Christmas is actually one of those fronts in which we actually can war against our culture. So Galatians 4, starting in verse 4, we'll just uh, read some verses here. Um, but when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Let's go to him in prayer. Lord, we praise you for this day. We praise you for your grace and your kindness toward us. I do praise you for the opportunity you've given me to open up the bread of life and, and try to deliver it to these people. I pray that you'd help me to do so. Uh, may I be a, a waiter um, giving these people food and help me to not mess it up on the way to the table. And I pray, Lord, that you would give me grace. May I be clear, may I be loving, and may it bless the hearts of those who receive it. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so did some research, and from an article that was published recently, an article published December 12th, 2022. In 2021, uh, U.S. holiday shopping, U.S., just in, the, just in America, shopping for the holidays generated an estimate of 80, uh, $886.7 billion dollars just in the U.S. for holiday shopping uh, in the year of 2021, $886.7 billion for holiday shopping. And according to the National Retail Federation, the average American plans to spend $826 on Christmas. This is of 20, uh, 2022. He spent uh, each American family 
or each American rather, plans to spend $826 on Christmas, 500 of that dollars being directed toward gifts and things toward family members. And in a survey asked two Americans um, how, and they the survey was basically they went up to them and they asked this question. Last year, I went into debt to pay for Christmas. And out of that, 22% of those who were asked that question said yes, or I strongly agree that yes, I went into debt to pay for Christmas last year. 22% of those they asked. And we live in a world that has so commercialized Christmas has so uh, has used Christmas not as a time to celebrate the birth of the Savior, but as a time to widen their pockets, a time to expand their business models, and a time to even coerce children into believing things that are not true. Uh, we we live in a world that has so commercialized Christians that even for Christ has so commercialized Christmas that even for Christians, the real meaning and the true meaning of Christmas um, is truly lost. It's not even there anymore. And it must be said, uh, though, at the outset, that uh, the celebration of Christmas actually started in Rome at about 336, um, and, it was, and it became a major Christian holiday by the 9th century. And so it, uh, its roots um, had Christian origins. It came out of Rome very early, and it was a day set aside to celebrate the birth of Christ. The term Christmas literally means Mass on Christ's Day. So it was literally a day to celebrate the birth of Christ. It was literally a day set aside to celebrate Jesus, his birth, and what he had come to do for sinners. However, none of our modern concepts of Christmas, none of our modern views of when we think of Christmas, what we typically think of, none of it comes from religious or liturgical affirmations, none of it comes from a theological background, it typically just comes from actually uh, Renaissance ideas, the ideas of exchanging gifts, putting trees in your house, and doing all the rest, those aren't from Christian origins, um, they're just not, and that, and that has to be said. The idea of swapping gifts back and forth, the idea of uh, putting a tree up in your house, it must be said that it does not come from Christian foundations. It just doesn't. Um, Spurgeon himself uh, didn't hate Christmas, but Spurgeon hated the excesses that, were, that followed Christmas. And actually, the Puritans in New England uh, so hated the celebration of Christmas uh, and what it had become, that they actually were successful in banding the celebration of Christmas in England and America. Banning. Thank you, Mom. I said banding. Banning uh, the celebration of Christmas in England and America. Now, I'm not here to talk about that. Um, whether you celebrate Christmas or don't celebrate Christmas is really um, left to individual conscience and Christian liberty because, quite frankly, the Bible doesn't mention it because Christmas wasn't a thing when the Bible was written. So it really is a matter of Christian conscience, and you have to do as the Lord convicts you in that area. I will say, though, uh, it ought not to be forced down anyone's throat either way. 
whether you choose to not celebrate Christmas for matters of conscience, you ought not to call your friend that doesn't celebrate Christmas a pagan because he doesn't celebrate Christmas. And the friend who has another friend who does celebrate Christmas, that Christian friend ought not to say, well, you're a pagan because you do celebrate Christmas. Um, It ought to be left up to Christian liberty either way. So I'm not here to... um, dispute that with anyone, but I am here to say that it is just historically fact that the decorations and what we know today in Western society as Christmas is not the foundations of what Christmas actually was. It was a day to celebrate Christ's birth. Now, in saying that, it is completely fine And I think it is necessary at times for Christians to speak into and step into what otherwise might be dark situations and bring the light of Christ in those situations. So uh, a a big Christian practice is, okay, well, the uh, celebrating uh, Christmas by uh, giving out gifts is not a Christian ideal. It does not really have Christian foundations. And yet we can speak into that and say, just as we're giving each other gifts, we celebrate Christ, which is the greatest gift. Whether that has any merit or not, again, left up to you. But I think we can speak into these things that would otherwise be dark and bring the light of Christ into them. But the foundations of Christmas, whatever they are, and we know that they are Christian in origin, uh, in our day have been completely lost to the point to where they're really non-existent and they're really they can't be found you can't um you can't go anywhere you can't um uh, go into any store watch any television program or do anything without seeing it blasted in your face and none of it or barely any of it really has anything to do with what christmas ought to be about and what we ought to be celebrating on the day So those are the origins of Christmas and how they've been distorted. But I want to present to you tonight, briefly, in the time that I have, a theological view of Christmas. How can we biblically think of Christmas and what ought to be, first and foremost, on our minds when we think of Christmas? And I think Galatians 4 is actually a very good passage and not a very prominent passage when talking about this topic. Um, Typically, we go to the Gospels, we go to Luke or whatever to talk about the birth of Christ. But I think both in Philippians, talking about the incarnation and Christ emptying himself, and in Galatians, are probably even better passages to talk about the true meaning of Christmas. So starting in verse 4, what do we read? That Just that first phrase, but when the fullness of time was come. You can think of this in two um, aspects. One, you had a you had a pregnant lady involved in the situation, and then two, you had prophecy involved in the situation. So one, let's talk about the pregnant lady, Mary. Anyone who's had a child, and I've been blessed to have a child and praise the Lord for him every day, um, is excited when they find out that they're pregnant, and then they go to the um, uh, the, uh, the doctor's office and they find out the delivery date. When is the baby going to be here? And they're excited, and they say, and they go out excited, and husbands and wives are telling each other, can you, can you just imagine it, that on this day, we are going to have our child? And whether that child actually obeys that is up to them, really. But they're excited anyways in their minds that on this day, we look forward to having our child. And then as the pregnancy continues and becomes more and more developed and the due date becomes near, they're coming closer to the fullness of time. And they are, and they are preparing themselves and they are readying, readying themselves for the birth of their child. And that is what is happening here. Mary was pregnant 
with a child. Now, this was, um, to the Gnostics anyways, a big, uh, a big affront to them because, of course, Gnostics believe that the physical, the material is all evil, and all that is good is spiritual. And, of course, Christians speak out against that and say, well, that can't be because Christ was a man. He was a physical man. And so all that is physical cannot be evil because Christ was a physical man. So you had a, a physical woman and an actual pregnancy uh, preparing herself for the fullness of time to deliver an actual child. And this is why we don't over-mysticize the birth of Christ. It was an average birth. There was blood involved. There was screaming involved. There was pain involved. Christ was not silent when he came out of the womb. He was screaming because why? Because he was a man, and that's how babies breathe. And so he was, he was screaming when he came, not because he was a sinner. He was a man. He was the God-man, but you can't strip his humanity away. And so uh, we don't want to over-mysticize the birth of Christ. And so you had an actual woman with actual and actual uh, preparing herself for the actual fullness of time to deliver an actual baby. On the flip side of that, you have prophecy involved. So you have a woman involved and you have prophecy involved. Uh, really from the beginning of Scripture, from Genesis 3 onward, prophecies of Christ's coming were being told. Of course, in Genesis 3.15, it reads, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. It shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. First prophecy for telling the coming of Christ. Because this has happened, because of the fall of man, God in his grace promised that one day uh, from the seed of the woman there would come a deliverer and he is going to crush the serpent who beguiled the woman on the head and redeem his people. From the outset of sin, redemption was promised. And it was promised in the form of a prophetic word telling of the coming Messiah. Of course, we read other prophetic passages like Isaiah 9, 6 that says, For unto us a child is born to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah seven fourteen. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And then Micah 5, 2. But you, O Bethlehem, you are too little uh, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me, one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. From of old, from ancient days, the coming of Christ, the coming of the Messiah, the coming of this deliverer was promised. And, and I told you this morning, and it really has been on my mind, has been on my mind a while, how Christ really is the story of Scripture. How all the way from Genesis 3 throughout, Christ, the coming of Christ, both in the Old Testament saints were saved as they looked forward to the promise of uh, the coming Messiah. Now in the New Testament, now that Christ has come, we look backward to the Messiah who came to redeem his people. But it's always been Christ. You know, you do have even some who uh, purport to be Christian ministers saying that those in the Old Testament were saved through some different means than Christ. Well, that can't be because salvation is found in no other name but the name of Christ. But Christ hadn't come yet where they believed the promise. They believed that he was coming. He believed, he believed, they believed that there would be a redeemer to come to redeem us. How exactly that looked 
what exactly that person looked like, what all the details involved in it, they didn't know. It was shadow. Christ was the substance to the shadow. But they believed the shadows and longed for the substance, many of whom, most of whom, did not see it. And they died having not seen Christ, but believed in Christ still, and are in heaven to this day. Listen, when you're reading your Old Testament, don't read it as some different uh, bunch of odd stories. Obviously, we know that they are inspired of God and given for us for our example, but listen, those who are saved in the Old Testament are saved the exact way you were saved. It's Christ. It's Christ. It's believing in Christ. It's putting your faith in Christ. So when you, when you read the Old Testament, read Christ into the Old Testament because he's there. He's all over the place. Re- read him in there in the appropriate places, but read him in because he's there. We sang a song this morning, Christ the true and better. All of those examples, Moses, David, Adam, all of those examples are true and legitimate examples of how Christ is seen in the Old Testament. And I love the imagery of Moses and how he was called to lead a people home and Christ came to lead us as sinners home. And how Moses stretched out his arm and the Red Sea parted. And thus, as Christ stretched out his arms, the the veil in the temple parted. And thus, we have direct access to God. You can see Christ in the Old Testament. And Christ uh, is the story. His covenant of grace is the story from of old. Genesis 3 and onward. He's the story. Read Christ into the Old Testament. See Christ in the Old Testament. And when you're reading your Old Testament, think, how can I see Christ here? Again, keep it in perspective, and it can be overdone, but in the right places, it is truthful, and it is needed. See Christ in your Old Testament, because he was of old, told that he was come, was going to come to deliver his people. He continues, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman. Again, Christ was an actual man. He was uh, conceived of the Holy Spirit, but he was an actual man. He went through the processes that every child goes through, uh, the processes of forming in the womb, the processes of coming to development, coming to the fullness of time to be delivered. He was an actual person, an actual man, but he was the God-man, and we must pay attention to this. God sent forth his Son. And it must be said also in this, I can only imagine, I was, obviously none of us were there, none of us can actually place ourselves within the mindset, but I can only imagine longing for, hoping for, clinging to a promise that was not seen, that was told of prophets, that was, the gospel was, uh, was promised by sages and prophets, but it was, it was not seen. And I can only imagine the mindset that some must have faced. Is Messiah coming? Is this true? Will we be redeemed? Will we be delivered? But our passage says, when the fullness of time was come, comma, God. 
It's in God's timetable. He may be late, but his version of late is always on time. God is always on time. It's always on his timetable. When the fullness of time came, both in the natural processes of birth, the fullness of time came as uh, prophecy was being foretold, and the fullness of time came in God's calendar. Christ came. Christ came. Why did he come? To redeem them that were under the law. Christ came on the mission of redemption. Christ came on the mission of redemption. He came to redeem those who were under the law. Those who were not under grace. Those who, who, who knew nothing of, of free grace apart from law. Christ came under the law toward those who were under the law to save them from the law, the demands of the law. He came to redeem. He came to save. And he not only came to redeem. What does redeem mean? Well, of course, this is a theological word. It's a biblical word. Redeem really means to buy, to buy back. It could be used of slaves in a slave market, how uh, you, are, uh, you are bought by your master. Uh, you, can, you can use that also in the spiritual realm that redemption is literally Christ buying us out of what? The slave market of sin. That's what it means to be redeemed. As we are all born in sin, we are all born dead in sin, we are all born slaves to sin. Redemption means what Christ came to do is he came to buy us out of our slavery to sin. This humanistic concept that man is, in and of himself, essentially good, is completely and utterly found nowhere in the Bible. This concept that man has a libertarian free will to do anything he wants because at his core he's actually a pretty good person is nowhere in Scripture. Actually, what is found in Scripture that we are sinful creatures in need of redemption, in need of being bought out of our slavery to sin. He not only came for redemption, though, he came for adoption. He came for adoption. Where we were once out of the family of God, we were redeemed out of the slave market of sin. And guess what? Yes, we are made slaves of Christ. That is true. But we're not just slaves. We're not kept in the outer yard working. We were brought into the house. We're sat down at the table. And you're not only sat down at the table as a stranger, but you're sat down at the table given the name of the king. You're redeemed. You're adopted. You are a child. Think of the, the beauty of what we know as adoption, physical adoption. Someone who does not belong to this family, does not have their name. I don't even barely know you, and yet I'm going to come, bring you into my home, and give you my name, and raise you as mine, and call you mine. 10,000 trillions upon trillions times, unfathomable so, and what we see in our salvation, and what we see in our adoptions, 
and our adoption. Not only were we not and differently not the children of God, but we were actively the children of the devil. And Christ buys us out of that family, gives us his name, gives us uh, his rights, raises us as his own. We call that sanctification. Sets us at his table, gives us his food, and calls us his own. We are adopted. We're adopted. He says that in verse 6, doesn't he? And because you are sons, you're sons. We're sons and daughters of the king. We're slaves because you're going to be a slave to something, either your sin to death or Christ to life, but you're not just a slave. You're a son. You're a daughter. God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, probably the most intimate form of expression you could use. And God invites you to use that toward him, Abba, Daddy. You're invited to call him your father because Christ came to redeem and to adopt. Christ not only came, so he came for redemption, he came for adoption, but he also came to make us an heir. He also came to make us an heir. Verse 7 says, Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. An heir of God through Christ. I can't begin to lay out for you all the wonders that are here, but just to just to give you a 30,000 glance view at the wonders of this passage, you remember again that I said, you are a slave to Christ, but you're not merely a slave. Because slaves were out there. Slaves were at a distance. Slave, slaves worked. They did labor, but they were out there. And they weren't, the, they weren't the masters in the sense of, they're my children. So you are that. You are a slave, but you are a child. You're not merely a servant. You're a son. And if you are a son, then we're told that we're heirs. That we are given all of the rights that Christ has. That one day, we will not only be with Christ, but we will reign with Christ. That one day, as the Son sits next to the Father, we will sit next to the Son and reign with Him, rule with Him, dwell with Him. And just as, going back to our um, analogy of adoption, just as that child, when he is adopted into that family, has all the rights that that family has. So you think of the difference between the physical child and the adopted child. The, the, the parent doesn't say to the adopted child, now when you get here, you only have certain numbers of things you can't do. Uh, my child can go to the fridge anytime he wants, but you can only go to the fridge this set of hours, this set of hours. My child has full access to the restroom, but I'm sorry you got to hold it when it's not your turn because you don't have all the rights. He doesn't say that. 
When the child is adopted into the family, he has just as much rights as the physical children because now he's family. And when we are adopted into God's family, we have just as much rights as the son because we're in the son. We're seen as in the son. We're seen as being as perfectly righteous as the son even when we are not. You have full access, full rights. So go to the table, eat all our food. Run around our yard, do whatever you want. This is your home. And metaphorically speaking, God says, you're home. You're in my son. You're not a stranger. You're a child. And you belong to me now. That's why Christ came. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. That Christ came to redeem, to adopt, and to make us heirs. May that be front on our minds all this season. I'll just say as a way of um, application to one's life, am I telling you to, to, to burn your Christmas tree and throw away all your traditions? No, I'm not. Enjoy your traditions. Celebrate your traditions. Light your Christmas tree. Obviously, we're not shy of that. You go to my house, there's a, a, a very nice tree that Faith had us buy. It's beautiful. That's fine. Enjoy your traditions. Listen, I love, I, I love just as much as the next guy, Bing Crosby, Michael Buble, Frank Sinatra, Christmas albums, just as much as the next guy. I'm not saying don't enjoy those things. Enjoy those things. They're fine. They're a matter of Christian liberty. If your conscience tells you not to, well, then don't. But if it doesn't tell you not to, enjoy them. Enjoy your family. Enjoy the time. But don't get so caught up in those things that you forget why we are celebrating this day. I'm not celebrating this day because I love my family. I love my family, God willing, all year. I'm not celebrating this family because I like the food. By God's grace, I have plenty of food all year long. I'm not celebrating this family uh, this day because I, I like the gifts. I do like the gifts, but I don't need them. We celebrate the day because Christ came, was foretold of old, and in the fullness of time, Christ came to redeem, adopt, and make heirs. And that's why we sing, Come behold the wondrous mystery in the dawning of the King. That's why we sing that. Come behold this wondrous mystery, that language of mystery, what prophets and sages and, and uh, people of old longed for but couldn't quite understand. It was a mystery. Come, behold it in full display at the coming of Christ. He's here, Emmanuel. Come, behold what you've longed for and looked for all this time. What was foretold of old but yet not completely understood. Look with your eyes. Here it is. And we can still behold it in the pages of Scripture and with the eyes of faith. Behold the wondrous mystery that Christ came and he came on the mission of redemption, adoption, and to make you heirs. And if you have not beheld the wondrous mystery, I would invite you to behold him even tonight. That he invites you to come. That he, that he calls you to come. 
believe in the one who came. Believe in Emmanuel. Believe in God with us. Believe that he did come to redeem, that he has redeemed, that he will adopt, and he will make an heir. Believe in that. And you, Christian, who already know that, keep that front on your mind. Don't let anything else take your eyes off the fact that Christ came foretold of old, and he came to redeem, adopt, and to make me an heir. That's why I celebrate this day. Yep, I can enjoy all those other things. They're nice, they're fun, great. But that's not why we celebrate this day. So I hope and pray that we all have a theological mind, the theological concept of Christmas, because that's what Christ came Thank you for listening to Divine Truth Podcast. We pray that the Word of God has been a spiritual blessing to your soul. For more information about Emmanuel Baptist Church, please visit our website at www.ebcmineral.com. You can also find us on our Facebook page at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Our Lord's Day services are 10 and 11 a.m. as well as 6.30 p.m. We also have a Wednesday service at 6.30 p.m. We here at Emmanuel Baptist Church pray that the message of God's divine truth would always go from the cross, through the church, to the world, until Christ come. God bless you.